So the police were always created to defend against a dangerous other. Indigenous Americans, captive slaves, freed slaves, and new immigrants. Hi, welcome to The Shrinks on Third, our psychology and social justice podcast. I'm psychologist Julie Mayer. And I'm psychologist Cindy Ariel. Welcome in. You know, Cindy, I've had complicated feelings about the police for a long time. I want to believe that they're there to protect us. And I know it's a really hard job. But then you see the abuses of power that happen. True, Julie. American policing has been controversial for a long time, and catching police brutality with online videos has brought all of that into the forefront again. Yeah, in horrifying, shocking ways. It's very hard to watch. And it all makes me wonder about the history of the police, you know, why the culture can sometimes seem so racist. Mm, That's what we're going to talk about today. Funny how that works. Yeah, you know, way back when in the 1600s, there was no police force per se. The colonies used what they called night watch for protecting the cities and keeping them safe. Though a lot of the time, the night watch was made up of men on punishment for having committed a crime. Wait, the criminals were the guards? They trusted them to do the night watch? That's interesting. It is interesting. Boston had the first night watch followed by New York and then Philly. Wealthy people also hired watchmen for protection, but it was hard to find good help in the protection industry back then. The night watchmen were often found asleep or drinking on the job. (laughs) Well, perhaps there wasn't enough job training. And it was probably pretty boring. But let's talk about the source of the biases we see to this day, because in addition to being for the purpose of protecting the people, who had stuff from the people who didn't, policing actually also has a pretty big racially biased history. Yes, it does. In the South in the 1700s, slavery was critical for growing the wealth of the wealthy. So slave patrols were created to capture runaway slaves and return them to their masters. Yeah, so that's the interesting thing here. Slave patrols were a big part of the first form of policing in the South and usually included three to six men on horseback riding together with whips, sticks, ropes, and guns to hunt down enslaved people who were trying to escape. Slave patrols hunted and cruelly punished escaped slaves and terrorized their communities to keep them in their place and prevent rebellions. They worked to protect the wealthy plantation owners and their assets. So protective patrols, the original policing in our country, have mainly been around to create and perpetuate a clear hierarchy between the wealthy and the poor, originally the owners and the slaves. Well, and after the Civil War, colonists felt threatened by formerly enslaved people becoming free 
So slave patrols morphed into police units. That's the thing that bothers me. Slave patrols turned into police units. If you think about it, why would they treat African-Americans better when they'd been trained to hunt them down? Right. African-American communities lived with random violence against them, and a lot of it was from police who were used to terrorize communities to prevent the feared uprisings. Yeah, so not really that different from the slave patrols. No, and it wasn't a good way to handle the situation at all. Ruling by fear made that time strongly racially charged, with Black people, newly freed, trying to live in the society controlled by their oppressors. Gee, what could go wrong with that? Hmm, let me see. Everything! The goal of policing continued to be to protect the wealth of the already wealthy. White communities had protection against the growing Black communities who were kept segregated and intimidated. And then, of course, reconstructing the South after the war was a huge job and a lot of labor was needed. So for this, the Black population was more than good enough, and the newly freed people ended up rebuilding the country through enforced hard labor. Let me just point out that you just said enforced hard labor, which sounds a lot, to me anyway, like slavery again. Exactly. How, you may ask, was this possible? Well, through the loophole in the 13th Amendment and the Jim Crow laws. Those damn Jim Crow laws. You may want to refresh yourself on these things and check out our podcast that covered these topics. But quick reminder for now, basically Jim Crow laws kept black and white communities separate and the racist laws landed many people of color in prison. Once in prison, they could be used again as slaves due to the loophole in the 13th Amendment that abolished slavery except as a form of punishment. So black prisoners were used as slaves to rebuild the South. Yeah, and meanwhile up North, the population was growing and so was crime. There was increasing gang activity and disorderly conduct as more and more Immigrants moved into cities. They clashed with the immigrants already living there. So people looked for more formal ways to keep their cities safe. Yeah, as is still the case, people complained that new immigrants were ruining American society. It's annoying how that keeps happening. Since the Night Watch were asleep and drunk, the cities couldn't handle the growing population issues. So the first official police force was established in Boston in 1838. Less than 50 years later, almost every major city had a police force to prevent crime and keep order. So the police were always created to defend against a dangerous other. Indigenous Americans, captive slaves, freed slaves, and new immigrants. So I think that's how the prejudice got built right in, unfortunately. Sure. The newly created police forces were protecting the status quo working with businesses to protect their interests. There was corruption among some police forces as corrupt politicians paid off officers to ignore certain illegal activities. As racist policies were furthered by laws like the Supreme Court's separate but equal verdict, policing continued to be a way to keep black people separate from white communities and to withhold their rights. For a minute in the early 1900s, 
people listened to a guy named August Vollmer, also called the father of modern policing, who stressed the need for applying things like social work, psychology, positive management to police work. At that time, officers began attending college to learn this stuff and to patrol neighborhoods they lived in on foot. Wow. Can we go back to that? That actually sounds really great. It does. But by the 1920s, J. Edgar Hoover nixed Vollmer's model and set police loose on the population again. Officers were less connected to the communities on the ground and patrolled more by car. During Prohibition, crime, including organized crime, grew, as did protests and riots. Local police forces could not keep up, so police forces grew stronger and even more violent heading into the turbulent 1960s. Which at that time, during the Civil Rights Movement, African Americans began challenging police treatment. Riots, boycotts, protests broke out across the United States, and policing focused on riot control. Yeah, and again, it somehow harks back to the slave hunters violently going after escaped slaves, at least for me. Sure, people were coming together to demand peace and justice while the police continued to protect the economic interests of the wealthy at the expense of average Americans, especially those of color. Right, and police used harsh crowd control tactics like tear gas, high pressure water hoses and attack dogs. They also brutally beat and incarcerated people for protesting for their civil rights. We've seen this. Yeah. In addition to focusing on black people and minorities, LGBTQ communities were profiled and targeted. In 1969, police raided the Stonewall Inn in New York City. Lots of people fought back in a riot that lasted six days and fueled the gay rights movement. And several years later, not surprisingly, studies found that the cops patrolling around in cars did not help reduce crime or help people feel more secure. In fact, it turns out it increased negative interactions and negative feelings about the police. Especially for some people. Of course. Some departments tried to go back to community policing by putting minority officers in minority neighborhoods to relate to the residents and to use the community to help keep neighborhoods safe. Which I think is a pretty good idea. And this became popular in the 1990s. And by the early 2000s, two thirds of police forces across the US had community policing policies. Working closely with communities helps make community members part of the solution and brings safety to everyone. Yet, Policing still evolved to incorporate discriminatory practices like stop and frisk, in which people can stop and search someone without a warrant if they believe they're up to no good, but they don't exactly need evidence of that. No, they don't. They just, the person just needs to look suspicious, which of course translated into a huge bias towards stopping and frisking people of color. Right. The war on drugs meant police could harass people of color and marginalized communities. Yeah, so discriminatory policies like these continue to protect the social hierarchy created from the very beginning of this country. Unethical policies even today protect wealth and income inequality. Systemic racism is as it says, systemic. It's a part of our culture that has to be rooted out entirely. 
as long as there are violent gangs and terrorists and people walking around freely with loaded gigantic guns of war, there will be a place for armed counter-violence experts. And unfortunately, we need teams trained to deal with these mass shooters in our increasingly crazy country. And while police might be effective in certain situations, things often escalate even as they try to de-escalate a situation. And too many situations end in death or injury. Yeah, and as a result of the racial history, the relationship between the police and marginalized communities is really often a negative one, even today. And a problem is that a lot of people in groups have proposed policies to reform the U.S. police system, and many have even been tried in a lot of places, but problems persist. Yes. So a lot of police forces require officers to wear body cameras, but studies show, believe it or not, that wearing a body camera does not significantly change an officer's behavior. I mean, they must be feeling invincible or something. It's just like the way they keep, you know, torturing someone when there's a camera going right on them and they know it. Exactly. Abolishing the police doesn't mean not having ways to maintain public safety. It means restructuring community safety and security in ways that protect both safety and people's human rights. Yeah, I actually think the word abolishing came up because of this history. Like we need a whole new system. But the truth is, of course, we need policing in a lot of situations, but we don't need them to have guns. And as we're increasingly talking about, we need all sorts of other, that Vollmer thing. We need what he suggested in the early 1900s. So we need changes that could help hold officers accountable when they cross a line and abuse their power or authority. And it's so easy for them to do that. And sometimes it's out of fear. A lot of them need help, you know, they could have post-traumatic stress. Maybe they're too quick to react with gunfire. And they need to be educated to understand the existing prejudices that they have. They really do, and that's huge. Black Lives Matter tries to bring an end to police brutality and violent murders of unarmed African-Americans. Yeah, and there are also other great organizations working to reform or abolish the police and end police brutality. For example, Campaign Zero is a national research organization working to understand what they call public safety beyond policing could look like. And some organizations go even further, such as the Dream Defenders, which is a group of young adults based in Florida, working to eliminate policing, prisons, and widespread surveillance with the goal of building better alternatives to these systems. So these all seem like important goals you know, to protect and care for all of the people in the country, not just the wealthy. You can call it defunding. You can call it reforming. I don't really care, but let's not waste time arguing about the word. Let's get going to start creating change for the good of all the people in the country. Creating good for all the people. I like that. Yeah. Thanks for joining us. You can find us at shrinksonthird.com and follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Shrinks on Third. Till next time, take care.